everywhere in the world today except America and Europe. The gospel is growing and expanding. Recent studies have revealed that while population will grow at 35% in the next few decades, Islam will grow by 70% and Christianity will grow by 30% because the church is asleep in the light. While we are well fed, while we go to Bible studies and Sunday school and small groups and discipleship and we memorize scripture and we talk about Jesus and we listen to Christian music on iTunes, at the end of the day, we are well fed and our community is more lost today than it was 10 years ago. Is it because we are asleep in the light? You see, God goes where he's wanted. And God is always on the move and he will always find a community and a church and a people that are ready to do whatever he tells them to do. And so while the gospel is exploding in Africa and Asia. It is shrinking in America, the world center of freedom of religion, and we're not doing anything about it. That should trouble us. It should cause us to weep. That that is the state of the American church today in desperate need of a revival that will produce an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and result in the sweeping into the kingdom of millions of new believers. We cannot just be what we've always been and do what we've always done and expect different results. The gospel is exploding across the planet. There are more Christians today that will worship Jesus Christ in Ghana than in Scotland. There are more Christians today that will worship Jesus Christ in Nigeria than in England, the birthplace of the first great awakening. Something is wrong with Western Christianity. Something is wrong when we think God owes us anything. We think persecution and hard and, and faithfulness is showing up more than once a week. And so how do we change so that God can do what he wants to do in us and in our land. Steve Addison said that hot faith is the fuel that missionary movements run on. Nothing happens without a deep dependence on God. Nothing leads us into a healthy dependence on the power of God more than to come face to face with our desperate need of him. Mark talked earlier about the movement that influenced so many young musicians, new in their faith, but they wrote songs about Jesus, whether it was Tommy Coombs or Chuck Gerard or, or any of the other number of groups that, that you could mention that don't even exist today and few have heard of. But when the Jesus movement showed up in the 1960s, it influenced every area of our culture. It got the attention of the news media. It got the, the attention of magazines. It changed music. It changed the culture. Many churches changed because of what they saw God doing in those early days of the Jesus, Jesus movement. And I want to submit to you that God is looking for another Jesus generation. God's looking for some young people, maybe some people who are older, 
who are ready to let God move and work as he wishes and as he wills and say, Lord, we're here. We're on mission. We're on assignment. Whatever you want us to do, we're willing to do it. My friend Alvin Reed said a number of uh, years ago when we were in a conference together that most of us are too old to start a revival. But we're not too old to kill one. Almost every revival has begun with young people and college-age students. Why? Because there's an idealism, there's a freshness, there's a desire to see God do something that he's never done before, a fresh work and move of the Holy Spirit of God. And so I want you to look at Mark chapter 6. A little later in the message, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. But I want you to look at Mark chapter 6 and see the folks that don't want a Jesus movement. By the way, they have relatives alive today. In every church, in every denomination, there are people that don't want to see God move. They are very comfortable in their dead and steeped religion and tradition and do not want to see a fresh work of God. This happened at the time of Jesus, Mark chapter 6 and verse 1. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? So look at what's happened. They're astonished. They hear things. They see things. But then they jump to a conclusion. Verse 3. Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They heard, they saw, and they took offense at him. And Jesus said, verse 4, to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do, you ought to underline this there, he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And then you ought to underline verse 6. And he wondered at their unbelief. He could do no miracle there. And he wondered at their unbelief. Jesus is on the move. He is moving fast and quick. He is healed Jairus's daughter. He has healed the, the woman with the issue of blood. Crowds are following him at a great pace and the numbers are growing. People are coming from far and wide to see this man, this prophet, this teacher, and he shows up in his hometown and not everybody's excited. Not everybody's on the bandwagon. Opposition is beginning to form. You see, religion will always resist revival. Religious people, if you want to know who will fight religion more than the bartenders, more than the people on the strip clubs, the people that will fight a move of God will be religious people. People that are so sure that they've got God figured out that if God acts outside of their paradigm, they begin to curse the very work of God. 
And God must today, even today, sit in heaven and wonder at the unbelief of his church that has multiple translations of the Bible, multiple Bible studies, Christian music radio stations, T-shirts and crosses for jewelry, and say, why isn't it making a difference? He must wonder in our unbelief. Jesus had come to Nazareth an earlier time, and when he, Luke chapter 4 tells us, when he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day to read and to teach, what did they do then? They tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. God showed up in church, and their presumption was, this can't be of God. Let's kill it before we find out it is of God. And so they stopped it. And Jesus, by his grace, comes back to Nazareth. He gives him another chance. Now, now remember, here, here's the context of all that's going on. Jesus calmed the storm on the sea, and his disciples said, Who is this that even the wave and the winds listen to him? They responded with wonder and with curiosity, but when he comes to Nazareth where he'd grown up, and where people knew him and people he'd gone to school with and synagogue with. And they said, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Two different responses. And by the way, that happens every time the word of God is preached. There is wonder and joy and an embrace of what God is doing. But in the synagogue... They took offense at him. Is not this the carpenter? The word carpenter there actually is better translated craftsman. Is this not the craftsman, the one who, who builds, repairs, and restores? Now, use your sanctified imagination a little bit and listen to what they're saying. Who does this guy think he is? He's just a common blue-collar worker. Who does this guy think he is? He's just a nobody from this little town. How dare him come and speak to us like this? And they also despised him because they were too familiar with him. Not just that they knew him that he was a carpenter, a common job, but they were too familiar with it. it they would say, well, I, you know, I remember him when he was growing up. You know, you can get too familiar with Jesus. You can get so familiar with him that you're not intimate with him, but you're familiar with him. And then the first thing that happens when somebody opens the Bible and reads something, like say if I were preaching from the prodigal son, you say, oh yeah, I've heard that story. You can't tell me anything. I've heard 15 different sermons from 15 different preachers on prodigal son. I can tell you everything you need to know. Well, I can tell you if that's your response to a sermon on the prodigal son, you're a prodigal. Because you're not welcoming in the Father's house. You see, you can become so familiar with God that you don't even know when he shows up. And not be intimate with him. He, he's just a guy we knew. Now, I mean, I would imagine that there were some friends of Mary who said to themselves, well, I've known him since he was a little boy. Ever happened to you when you go to your hometown? Oh, I've known you since you were a little boy. And that what they're really saying to you is, I didn't think you were much when you are little, and I don't think you're much now. 
That's what they were saying about Jesus. Now he's preaching. He's got wisdom that they can't explain. He's doing miracles. And the end result is he could do no mighty work there. By the way, the same thing happened during the days of the Jesus movement. The church wasn't ready. Stuart Briscoe wrote a great little book called Where Was the Church When the Youth Exploded? And the church, by and large, was not ready for this influx of these people from the outside, not people raised in church. You see, I'm old enough to remember that basically the people that went to church were the people raised in church, and the lost people didn't go to church. We just kind of walked by them and drove by them, and, you know, they smoked and drank, and, and they played in the yard on, on Sunday mornings, and we went to church because we were spiritual. We never thought about going and asking them if they wanted to get out of the yard and come to church with us because church people just went with church people. You didn't hang around lost people. Funny thing is, Jesus hung around lost people. Most of us can't name the names of lost people, but Jesus knew lost people. And it never defiled him. It never corrupted him. It never made him anything less than what he was because he walked in the fullness of who God had set him aside to be, the Son of God. Here's what was happening in those days. God was raising up hippies and drug addicts and runaways and prostitutes and school dropouts. And they were beginning to set the trends and start the conversations and and they were reaching out to their lost friends that were homeless and living on the street and saying, hey man, come and meet Jesus. But too often when they came to church, they didn't meet Jesus. They met a deacon or an usher that said, you don't belong here. Now I want to tell you the kind of people that God was raising up because they were an interesting group of people. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of doing uh, a Samaritan's Purse retreat for uh, them at the Cove, and the Tommy Coombs Band was doing the music. Tommy Coombs was one of the founding members of Love Songs, first time I'd ever met him. And uh, we, we headed off, had a great conversation because we have common roots. We both got saved at the same time, and, and just the music, I had listened to his music for years, and Never met him. And now today, here's this guy that was a hippie and a rock and roller who now goes all over the world with Franklin Graham playing in crusades and singing about Jesus Christ because a pastor let him in. So here's a little clip to give you a little story about the kind of people that God was reaching in the days of the Jesus movement. I think this was the first song we ever sang when, I guess you could call it an audition. <laughs> I, I, Chuck should tell it. Yeah, you still have your mic down there? <laughs> Back in 1970, uh, when we were over in the little chapel and the Lord was working. So many young people were coming out. Uh, these hippies came in. <laughs> Long hair, beards. And uh, they said, um, we have a... <laughs> yeah, he basically said, can I help you? <laughs> and they said, we're musicians. And uh, 
we uh, got saved here just a short time ago, and the Lord's been giving us some uh, Christian songs, and we'd like to share them if we could here uh, for the, you know, the young people. And I looked at them and I thought, <laughs> it was saved just a few weeks, and uh, so I, I wanted to be, you know, sort of safe, and so I said, uh, could you um, play something for me? And so they went out to the old van, and uh, Volkswagen van, and they, uh, <laughs> they brought in their guitars and all, and uh, they started to play. And as they started to play, the Spirit... Spirit just touched my heart, and I said, tonight we've got, this is Monday night, we've got a uh, young people's gathering tonight, and uh, how about tonight? <laughs> and, uh, and so they said, well, one of our guys is doing weekends in jail for a marijuana rap. <laughs> Not to point him out, they've all done it, you know. <laughs> they've all been arrested. And <laughs> but they said he gets off at noon, so we probably could play tonight. <laughs> so that was the beginning of uh, the music. But the song that they played that just really touched my heart was Welcome Back. I've not been anywhere, but I sure felt welcome. <laughs> In that first century, people were offended by Jesus. In the days of the Jesus movement, when I came to Christ, people were offended by Jesus. They didn't like the long hair. They didn't like the t-shirts. They didn't like the navy jeans that flared out where you could be 14 feet wide just walking by yourself. They didn't like the music. They didn't like the uninhibited young people that were showing up in the church. They didn't like the guitars and they didn't like the drums. And so people resisted it and they fought it. I hate to say this, but in those days there was a young man, I won't name him, some of you would know who he is. There's a young man who walked to this church one day to come in, and because of his hair, he was told he couldn't come in. That's a blight on the history of this church. That somebody didn't, as Mark sang, look in their eyes. They just looked at their hair. 
tell you another thing about the Jesus movement. Blacks and whites and Hispanics all worship together. The Jesus movement was not segregated in a time when segregation was the pulse of our nation. It wasn't segregated. We, we never looked at the color of a person's skin or their dialect. If you love Jesus and I love Jesus, then we love each other. That's right. Amen. I had a poster that hung in my college dorm room of a hippie. And it was this hippie, and he had a headband on, and he had bell bottoms, he had a little vest, and a flowered kind of vest on. And it simply said this, you can't love God and hate your brother. You see, when God shows up, and when God moves, all the barriers that man and even religion will create are gone. Now, I'm not saying that when God shows up, you accept everything that happens. You have to test the spirits. But some of us are so afraid to get out on the limb, we won't even climb the tree. And some of us are so afraid of wildfire, we walk around with water hoses to put out any fire, and we'd rather freeze to death than get by a fire. And so... I want to wrap this up with how God uses nobodies. And I want to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, because most of the people that God uses in history are people that the traditional church rejected. Whitfield, one of the great leaders of the First Awakening, was kicked out of the church. He had to preach outside, and so typically Whitfield would stand on a tree stump and preach to 10,000 people. I've stood on Whitfield's Rock in, in uh, the Northeast where he preached, and 5,000 people gathered with no sound system. He just preached the Word of God. Wesley, they didn't know what to do with him in the church, and so the reason that there is a Methodist church today is because the traditional church didn't know what to do with somebody like John Wesley. The traditional church didn't know what to do, what to do with a Keith Green who would write a song like Asleep in the Light. That is not what your typical special music before the message would have been. But Keith Green was like putting salt in a wound. If, if you didn't like it, you had to learn to like it or you were going to have to just get over yourself because he was a musical prophet. You see, God chooses to use people that we would not pick, that the seminary would reject, that the cultural Christianity would say, well, we need to bring him in a little bit. Or as the woman said to me when I surrendered to ministry and I stood at the front and I was weeping and she patted me on the shoulder. She was the head of the WMU and she patted me on the shoulder and she said, don't worry, son, you'll get over it. And my first thought was, I hope to God I don't become like you. And now at my age... I am as committed today as I was the day that God saved me that I want to see another move of God. If nobody else wants to see one, I want to see one. If nobody else wants to pay the price for one, I, I want to do that because I believe it is the only hope we have for America. 
You see, power follows faith. And Jesus worked his power in response to faith. People that responded to him. Biblically, unbelief is a stubborn refusal to take God at his word. It's a stubborn refusal to take God at his word. So if we want to believe God for great things, then we just need to take God at his word. That we can go into all the world, that he is with us always. This past week in, in New Orleans, our students saw 10 people, cold conversations. These are not people that they've had a relationship with. I'm just cold conversations with strangers. 10 people came to see Christ as their personal Lord and Savior this last week because our kids went to share. Nobody was expecting them. Some of them that God used, they weren't expecting God to use them, but God did. Why? Availability. And, and by the way, just as a side note before we get to this, anybody that ever thinks they've arrived has never left the station. None of us have arrived. All of us are learning. All of us are growing. All of us need to seek the Lord for what it is the next thing he wants to do in our lives. So God finds these empty people. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. That means I fit in because I was the best low C student in the history of Mississippi College. Not many mighty, not many noble, I mean, that, you know, some people are getting on Ancestry.com now and tracing their DNA. And everybody seems to trace their DNA to a pharaoh or to Cleopatra. You know, my wife's DNA traces to Lincoln. You know, some people, I heard one guy say, you know, I've got a friend who says he traces back to Louis the Fourteenth. He said, and my furniture goes back to Sears on the 15th. Uh, just... <laughs> Not many noble. Hey, there, you know, there's no pomp and circumstance in the kingdom. Not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen. Notice, God has chosen the despised, the people that we will walk on the other side of the road to get away from. God says, that's the people I'm going to use. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. God chose these people not because of who they were, but in spite of who they were. Bill, St Bill Stafford used to say, and you, you've got to take this in context, Bill Stafford used to say, I was elected and I wasn't even running. God chose, God reached down into hippies and to drug addicts and to prostitutes and to runaways and said, I want you. And they responded and they led a movement, a movement that Billy Graham said had enough power in it to change the world. In the 1960s, a guy named Dwayne Peterson started the Hollywood Free Paper. They would print papers up and just hand them out on the streets of Hollywood and Sunset Strip. This is what the first editorial said. The Hollywood Free Paper supports and seeks 
to propagate the teachings of Jesus Christ. The only reason we do this is because we have already tried almost every means to reach God that man has thought of. And at the end of this search, turn to the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. While these hippies were coming to Christ, there were a lot of coffee houses started. I remember my first uh, church, we had a coffee house. We didn't serve coffee. We just called it a coffee house. We served Coca-Cola. We called it, nobody, no teenagers drank coffee back then. There was no Starbucks. I mean, you got Folgers in a can. That was it. And if you had a little money, you got Maxwell House. We had a coffee house. We had a couch in that coffee house. It was in a house next door to the church where Terry grew up. And, and we had a couch in there that we actually bought from the church for $10. When you sat down on it, it was so old, the dust would literally come up. <laughs> and in that coffee house, young athletes, black and white, started coming two and three nights a week because we had a ping pong table. Just simple. No budget, no pizzazz, nothing but Jesus. And when those people started to be saved, churches did not want them. Arthur Blessed, who walked across America with a cross, tells a story of calling pastors as he went from California to Washington, D.C., and talking to them about believers and saying, I'd like to send them to your church. And pastor after pastor said to him, we don't want blacks and hippies in our church. Some said, we have no program for these people. They won't fit in. May it never, ever be said of us. We have no program for these people. If we don't love the lost and the least, God will take his cloud of blessing off of us and go find a group of people that want him to work. Ray Stedman, one of the great Bible teachers of the late 20th century, was open to what God was doing. Jesus' movement hit his church, and his church grew from 150 to 1,500 on Sunday nights in a matter of months. The Calvary Chapel movement started by Chuck Smith, the video that you saw. Just a 40-year-old pastor that just wanted to see God work in his church. And so he took a chance, and he led a rock and roll group that had all been arrested for marijuana charges and let them sing in his church and as I'll tell you in another sermon in more detail three nights a week 2,000 young people showed up at Calvary Chapel on Monday night and Tuesday night and Thursday night for a four-hour Bible study and concert you see if you want to know what a move of God looks like just find out where God is working and join him. Amen. Just find out where he's working and join him. If you want to know what God wants to do in this church, just find out what he's doing and join him. That's right. Just say, Lord, I'm here. I'm available. I'm yours. Whatever you want to do, however you can use us to reach people for Christ. Let me tell you something, folks. If God really shows up, 
And if God really starts a new Jesus movement, you know what's going to happen? We're going to start seeing some kids in gangs that are going to get saved, and they don't know your language or my language. They don't know your style or my style. But God help us if we turn anybody away. God help us if we don't look with eyes like Jesus at those who are blind and need to see, at those who are lost that need to be found, at those who cannot hear the word of God that need to hear it. God help us. God help us. If we don't find out where God's working and join him in it. You know what cleaned up the Sunset Strip? The Jesus movement. The mayor didn't clean it up. The governor didn't clean it up. The government didn't clean it up. Strip clubs became coffee houses. And they became places to get off the street for homeless kids who had run away from home during the drug culture. And they began to find a place of refuge. And they were shared at where once alcohol was served at bars, now they were serving coffee and Cokes and lemonade and water to people that just needed to know that somebody loved them. You know what's wrong with our community? They don't know the church loves them. You know what's wrong with everything that goes wrong in our community? They can drive by the church and never think about us. But if we were on the move for God... They couldn't even think about us without, without wanting to come and find out what it was that God was doing here. Listen, I've seen it. I know. I, I've watched people that have been driving by a church with no intention of stopping or going in that pull into a parking lot and don't even know why they pull into a parking lot and pray to receive Christ and come in to find out if anybody can talk to them. I've been sitting in my office in a church when I was a youth minister and a guy called us because he found our number in the phone book and our picture was on the cover of the phone book. We bought the cover of the phone book that year when everybody needed a phone book. And our picture of our church was on the cover of the phone book. He called the number and he said, I'm sitting in my hotel room and I need somebody to come tell me about Jesus. Is anybody at your church able to come tell me about Jesus? Folks, that's what happens when a Jesus generation gets on fire. Amen. But if we just stand and sing two verses of a hymn and go home because nobody lost was here to hear the gospel, then we may not want God to show up. But if we want him to show up, we'll start with who we're going to have here next Easter. Because if you want God to change this community, he's going to do it one person at a time. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed? If you are here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then I want to invite you today to ask Christ into your heart. You may be saying, well, you don't know how bad I am or you don't know how much sin there's in my life or you don't know what I've done. I don't, but God does and he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. He died on a cross to pay the price for your sins so that you could come to know him as your personal Lord and Savior.
Today is the day of salvation. The devil will tell you, wait, put it off. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation and now is the accepted time. It tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And, and it's not enough for us to send our money and to go on, on trips overseas or around this country if we don't do it here at home. Because it begins in Jerusalem, and our Jerusalem is Albany, Georgia. So if you're here today and, and you don't know Christ, I want to ask you just right now just to step out. And just come down and find one of these men and say, I need to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior today. I need to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. I just want to give you a minute from the balcony, from the mezzanines, from the side, from the front, wherever you are. If you need to trust Christ today, I want to give you that opportunity to trust him. ask you church family your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed just be real honest nobody nobody's in that seat but but you nobody's standing where you are but you if Jesus showed up and started doing a work in the lives of the people around you would it bother you or would it bless you? I mean, if he sure enough showed up and really started doing a work and people started being saved that didn't clean up before they got here, that walked into this room with a lot of baggage, would it bother you or would it bless you? Would you worry more about how they look or about the fact that they're lost and in need of Christ? We cannot be the church that has no program for them, whoever them might be. We live in a world with no truth and no absolutes and a world that is very confused, but we have the one answer, the one hope that everybody needs, and that's Jesus. Are we ready? Are we genuinely ready? Not only are we ready, are we asking God to do it? Are we asking God to show up and to show out and to draw the lost and the least into this place to, so that they can have life and have it more abundantly? See, if we're content with just who we are and where we are and what we are, we can miss God. We can miss him. And I, for one, don't want to miss him. Could it be said that God could do no miracle here because of our unbelief? Or could it be said this is a place and this is an environment where God can do great things? Not just occasionally, but consistently. That every day, 
God is working in miraculous way and stories are being told as revival spreads on the wing of testimony. Stories are being told about what God is doing in this community, in this region because this church is on the move for God. God is on the move. He's moving in Africa and in Asia and in Latin America. Not moving so much in America. But if that's ever going to change, it's got to start somewhere and it's got to start with some church and it's got to start with some person so why not us why not us Father I ask you in the name of Jesus that you would keep our hearts tender toward the lost and the least let us never get comfortable with our Christianity so familiar with you that we lose our sense of expectation. God, keep us humble. Keep us willing. Keep us available to be instruments that you choose for your glory. We will not boast in what we have done. We will not boast in what Sherwood has done. We will boast in the Lord for what he has done. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.